0: welcome to the for love of the game podcast episode number four presented by horsebills.com i'm bob Ike, joined by my partner in horse bills mark Dosh. we are the owners proprietors of horsebills.com and mark our first three guests were all southern california trainers but we ventured east this time and spoke to a young bloodstock agent named brad wiseboard
1: yeah his story is phenomenal uh, he grew up in the game his father being a big part of the game but He's had a lot of success early on in his career, success that people that have been in the game for many decades wish they could aspire to. And when he talks about having more more business than he can handle, no matter whether you're in the horse business or any other business, that's a great problem to have. So he's obviously doing something right.
0: Very interesting interview with him and following that we'll talk about what we saw at Los Alamitos last weekend, a couple big two-year-old races and another derby prospect for Bob Baffert. So enjoy our interview with Brad Wiseboard. He's from BSW Bloodstock and uh, that's coming up right now for the love of the game presented by horsebills.com. We're here with Brad Weisbord, he's head of BSW Bloodstock, and uh, Brad, you were out at Del Mar last weekend and got to see Uni win the Matruk. What a great race that was.
2: It was a great race. I wasn't out at Del Mar, but many people thought I was because my twin brother, Joshua, was in the winner's circle, and he actually was not well-dressed. He was in golf clothes, (laughs) so many people thought I was out there, but I was actually on my couch in New York City. Uh, So it was was a great race. It was a great um, end to the year win. You know, there's not many grade ones left in December. We probably have one more chance in the American Oaks uh, one of the last few days of December. But that's the goal of our company to win those sort of races. Oni's had a very start and stop year. She got started with a couple wins. We shipped her out for the gamely. And she unfortunately had to scratch, was colicking the morning of the race, sent to the clinic kind of touch and go there for a second and uh, restarted her up, had a very nice win at Saratoga where she lost her iron out of the gate and was able to still get up and win to beat a nice Philly in Persuice and then uh, targeted this race, and she she really ran big. I didn't think she had a big shot from the 13th post going a mile at Del Mar, but she got the pace she needed and came with her kick. Really nice Philly.
0: We call our podcast for the love of the game. Obviously, you have a passion for it. And your father, Barry Wiseboard, has held a lot of prominent positions in racing, including his work with TDN. Is he the one who really got you started in horse racing?
2: Yeah, I mean, he definitely got me started. Like many kids, uh, the dinner conversations is a lot of the times about what your parents do or about um, how their day went. And my dad was in the horse business. Uh, he didn't have this, uh, the same sort of role that I have. Uh, he had a lot of businesses that served the industry. One was Thurber Daily News. That's his main business and something that he was growing through the early 90s as I was I'm um, in my youth. So where a lot of kids would be reading Sports Illustrated uh, or what whatever other magazines they had at home, I was reading the TDN every night. It was a daily publication, still is. Um, Still is the leading uh, publication for daily news in the sport and kind of grew to start to learn about the game that way and spent a lot of afternoons weekends and even mornings at the racetrack with him as he was an owner breeder as well and kind of grew to love it that being said i i didn't know that i'd make it my career i always thought i wanted to own but didn't think i'd be uh, successful enough to be able to own and with being in the industry uh managed to find and pave a way with a little niche in our bloodstock company and it's been successful to date so when you first got
1: started after you finished uh, college, uh, I read that you had interviewed with Goldman Sachs, but you walked out of that interview and weren't interested with, with that kind of career path. So what what eventually got you back to the racetrack and kind of got, got your career jump started at that early
2: age? I'd love for you to find the guys that I actually had a couple uh, interview pro- during that process of the investment bank, investment banks, real estate uh, interview, but. I didn't think it went that well. Um, It got very technical towards the third round of the interview process. And I was kind of a um, people person, uh, big idea type guy. And I got down to kind of uh, Excel spreadsheets and uh, really technical information in real estate. And I just didn't think that that was gonna be my career path. Uh, I didn't get offered the job. It was 2008, market was collapsing. I uh, didn't get offered the position. Probably the best thing that ever happened to me, and um, my my dad said, "Look, do something you love for six months or a year, and the job market will get better." Remember, the 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 economic uh, crisis in America was terrible at the time. Uh, everything was collapsing, let alone horse prices. So I got into the business and and never left, and and, and found our way to have a daily good business.
1: So right now, obviously, you're you're achieving what you wanted to, having horses at the top of the game, running in grade ones. But when you first started, what were the first couple of jobs in in the racing business to get you to the point where you're at now?
2: I worked at the TDN and Executive Bloodstock Management, which is one of my dad's companies, for six months. And then uh, soon realized that me and him were better off father, son, than employee, employer. And... Yeah, I was being schooled like it was high school all over again every day after I'd just gone to college for four years. So I knew that wasn't <laughs> going to last. So uh, thankfully, I met Zayat, Zayat Stables. And in 2009, January, he was looking for a uh, racing advisor or really more of a financial role. And he took me in. I had never managed racehorses. I'd been around them, but not really managed them and uh, really learned a lot with his 100-horse stable. And he taught me a tremendous amount about management, pain, et cetera, and I believe that year we were nominated for the Eclipse Award, and soon enough, we had Pioneer the Nile to find a stallion home for, us. so you start to learn the stallion aspect of the game. He ended up going to Vinery Stud, and I would say that he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for bringing me in at 21 years old to help him manage his racehorse stable, which gave me the early foundation to what I do today.
0: Your groups uh, have had a remarkable run uh, led by Saul Kuman and all his ownership groups. What are the keys to success in your line of work?
2: Um, number one is honesty. You know, I think that's where a lot of people derail in this game. Remember, we're dealing with assets that most wealthy people don't know uh, what the price they should cost. And in, in all honesty, I think uh, that is the number one thing that me and my partner, Liz Crow, and everybody that works for us, when you ring us, email us, ask us any question, you have 100% certainty you're being shot, the direct truth. And some people say that I'm even too direct, but I think that's what guys like Sal or Mike Dub or Bobby Flay or Al-Shakab or some of our biggest clients, that's what they relate to and like. And not only are we confident in what we're saying, they believe it's the total truth. And that's number one. You know, And then number two, is developing a way to find and manage talent to win these races. And, you know, what I'd like to say to lots of people is that this is not a one-year successful business. Uh, we started winning classic races, really, um, when I started with Zayat. Uh, we were second in the Kentucky Derby a couple of years, and leading owner then went to Team Valor. Uh, Barry Irwin had won the Kentucky Derby before I started, but nominated for a leading owner. And then... Now on our own since 2016, we've had Exaggerator won the Preakness, Creator won the Belmont, Justify this year won the Triple Crown, Monomoy Girl this year won the Oaks, uh, also had some other good finishes like My Boy Jack. So this is a, a period of repetitive winning that I think we're reading in terms of the deals we're
0: Well, that just leads me to my next question. You're in your early 30s. I mean, do you pinch yourself sometimes and ask yourself, How are all these great things happening to me at at such a young age?
2: Yeah, um, but then you relate. I relate to guys like Sean McVay, you know, the head coach of uh, the Rams. That's young. I, I always didn't look at age as that should hold people back. Remember, on Wall Street, lots of the best guys are young, and I think in our sport. It's hard to achieve that level of level of success quickly, but I don't think it's a detriment or an issue. Now, do I, am I fully understanding that this can't keep going? Yes. I don't think we're going to necessarily win a triple crown, uh, the triple crown again recently, or we're going to win the Oaks in the next couple of years. I know that's probably not going to happen, but we will continue to win graded stakes with our formula And that's how I like to measure our success. We want to win stakes and graded stakes for our clients. We want to manage those horses and those clients to what their needs and wants are. And the Triple Crown sort of races, Breeders' Cups, they'll come and go. They'll fall into our lap some years, and we might miss 10 years in a row. But I don't want to measure our success on those races.
1: What are some of the challenges and selling points that you give to clients that are either trying to get into the game that you're trying to bring in from other aspects of life or people that are already in the game that you're trying to have come to you? Do you go out and and try and get new clients or are you finding more people, clients coming to you now that you've had success uh, searching out your services?
2: We're in a very lucky position for the, probably the first time ever. Um, We have more clients than we know what to do with. So we don't, we can't find enough horses to go around. So what we're doing is every year constantly trying to get and upgrade our clients. We, we, don't, we can't really take on more, more smaller clients or partnership clients. Um, that's tough for us because we, we're, we're still a small team. We're only going to buy 25 to 40 horses a year. We can't just go buy 400 or they fall out of the metrics of what we like to pay for horses. I think the biggest mistake is sometimes the growth of stables, especially partnership stables. When they have success, they go and buy more horses. That's, that's a mistake um, because by buying more horses, especially buying more than we, we want to buy, you're going to naturally buy horses that, that are not price, um, good prices for what they're worth. And we can't increase those levels. So we are looking to upgrade our clientele every year, uh, meaning deal with great people that are fully understanding, that are game- in terms of searching out and, and agreeing to the deals we want to do. But we're not necessarily looking for more clients. Uh, we can't really take them on. We're in a very lucky position like that. So I'd like to just keep doing more of the same. All
1: right, so, so Brad, you talked about have you're in a great position obviously people would die to be in that position to have that many horses how does the process work of finding the horses because not only do you have the horses that are competing in the classics but you have horses at the allowance level even some of the planning ranks day in and day out how do you go about scouring the nation to find the different horses that you're going to add to your roster and present to your clients
2: so i generally target proven horses only that takes by watching races all around the country every day I have a partner in France called Nicolas de Huatregant, Mandor Agency, that scouts our European horses. This year we bought about 15 from Europe, both at public and private, public uh, auctions and private sales of ready-made horses. And then my oh, she goes to all the yearling and two-year-old auctions in America and scouts our younger horses, like Mona Moy Girl, who she found. So, it's a couple people on our team that are looking daily to add horses. And as I said, we had about 40, maybe 50 a year for clients. Now, we also manage some claiming stables. Liz is responsible for 10 strike. And some of our other clients, in, in case Sal Kumin, um has bred horses, et cetera. So, we get horses to manage that we don't necessarily buy. We also buy a bunch of horses a year, and that makes up our 400 stable horse. horse
1: A lot of people in the game are, are action junkies. I mean, that's kind of why you get into it. The sport of it, there's the gambling, there's the actually watching the horses run. What, what drives you uh, day in and day out? There's obviously a lot of action going on with the horses, whether they're running, whether you're buying the horse. What, what brings you the most gratification, and what,
2: what what do you love most about the whole process in the game? One word, winning. Um, that that's the best way to describe it. What I love, uh, I'm a very competitive person and I really enjoy winning and what's great about this game. It's a humbling game because it's so hard to win. The best thing I can relate it to is baseball. When a guy bats 300, he's a hall of famer, uh, in this game, if you bat really 25%, you're a hall of famer. If you win a bunch of grade ones you're a hall of famer, if you win a bunch of stakes, uh, you got a good shot to have a good career. So I'm a statistics-oriented, driven person. It's a result-oriented game. And no matter what the level, uh, whether it's 6, 8, 10, 12 horses, whether they're competing in $15,000 claimers at Finger Lakes or grade ones on Derby weekend, bottom line is there's a winner and a bunch of losers. So we're trying to keep our clients ahead of the game. Winning may be 60% in the money. Winning may be stable to a stakes horse winning may be for South human to have 20 grade one winners in a year, but we're trying to win at every aspect for every client and win with the highest ethics.
1: We've talked about Saul quite a bit and he's obviously been very influential in the success that you guys have had with his success. How did your relationship with him come about and what was, what was the selling point for you to be able to get him into
2: the game? I started out on my own in 2016 uh, when I launched, bsw blood sorry 2014 when i launched bsw bloodstock uh so i was on my own for about two years in 2016 i was introduced to sol in south florida by chad brown one morning at the uh at his barn we were both at palm meadows sol at the time i don't know if he had 15 or 20 horses uh, but he had gotten going uh, mainly through yearlings and two-year-old buys chad had bought him his first handful of horses. And I don't think he was really buying many private horses yet at all. Um, But he had just been getting rolling, getting more interest, asking more questions. I'm sure uh, he was asking a lot of those questions to Chad. Chad realized, oh, my God, there's a monster in the making. Uh, Chad obviously is a big business and has to concentrate on training horses. And he introduced them to me one morning in South Florida and said, one day you're going to want to meet this guy or know this guy or work with this guy. And typical Sal fashion, he followed up a few weeks later, said, when are you going to be at the races again? Uh, we started a little dialogue, Sal at the time at an office in New York City. I went and met him soon after, I think it's around April or May, and we worked out a deal within 30 days for me to join his management team. I've been managing the horses with him ever since, that was about uh, May of or April of 2016.
1: So managing all the horses for him and a number of other clients, and playing at all levels of the game that we've discussed—from the breeding to the racing to you know the sales—what's what, your opinion of the business side of the sport as far as kind of like how the billing's done, all the different bills that the, that vendors send on horses? And we've obviously we, we found that that it's kind of stuck in uh, a time 20, 30 years ago that's not up to the up to date with industry standards from other and in other industries. How, how do you see that, and do you see that as a deterrent, all to trying to get new people into the game?
2: Yeah, I mean that's part part of the complications. Uh, I'm lucky that uh, we have a great bookkeeper, uh, so she handles all of that and kind of keeps my mind out of it. I will say that I did do my own books for a while when I started 2014, when we couldn't afford a bookkeeper, and uh, it was a big pain in the ass. One Excel spreadsheet with Excel spreadsheet and using a scanner and kind of old school back of the paper type bookkeeping. And um, it probably wasn't the best way about it sufficient, um, but not a good way and not a good way to encourage people to get in the game and have transparency and all that stuff can be looked at. I think our business has not done uh, as good as it could in the last 20, 30 years when other industries and businesses were taking steps in the right direction we were kind of stagnant. So uh, I'm lucky that I don't have to deal with it because we have a great bookkeeper, but I know that she uses a bunch of different programs. And I think it can always get
0: better. Hey, Brad, just a couple more things and we'll let you go. Uh,
2: From a distance,
0: you seem like a real fun loving guy. You're on social media a lot, maybe even some, some good old school self-promotion. Is that just your personality? Or do you find that you need those qualities to, to really kind of get ahead in this game?
2: No, my, my personality is exactly what you see on Twitter. Um, sometimes people say, uh, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm politically correct in everything I do. Uh, do I curse? Yeah, I curse. And my dad always has to tell me, stop. That's an ugly word. Um, I'm not trying to run for president. I probably couldn't. Uh, they would say, hey, you, you didn't have the right, um, you don't have the right, right mindset to be president. I'm not going to please everybody. I'm a very direct person. I just, you know, my clients love me. Uh, the outside world may not. I think you're nobody until somebody uh, doesn't like you. And I don't really worry about that. I don't have on my Twitter these uh, these opinions are my own, but they are. Nobody does it for me. And uh, I'm not, as I said, I'm not going to go to church or go to temple and be on the choir. Uh, that's not me. So uh, what I want my clients to know and my friends to know is I have their back. They have mine. And I think it's just important that we keep winning it with the highest standards. Who's your
0: favorite horse or, or race that you've been associated with?
2: Oh, man, what a tough question. Um, I'll answer that uh, with three because it's impossible for me. We've won so many big races. Number one, uh, Eskenderea. That was the first big, big horse at Zayat Stables. When I was there uh, that was on the Derby trail, he ended up winning the Wood Memorial by 10. I'll never forget that race. I was the only one there representing the Zayats that day. The Zayats were traveling. And unfortunately, he had to scratch the morning of the Kentucky or the week of the Kentucky Derby. But he was undefeated on dirt, and I'll never forget him. Uh, Didn't have anything to do with buying him, but was obviously involved in managing him from his two-year-old year on. Number two, Exaggerator. That was our first classic win in the Preakness. Great uh, experience in the rain, in the mud at Pimlico. Uncle Nyquist was undefeated at the time. So to beat the Derby champ when he was undefeated for great owner Sal, um, obviously we had started together just a few months earlier. So to win, I think what he went in 2016. Um, so to win the classic race for Sal, have his first classic, but most importantly with Keith DeSormo and the big chief, and uh, guys, Matt Bryant, Kirk, Ronnie, those—that um, was special. Third I would say Monomoy Girl. I felt so good for Liz Crow to have scouted that horse as one of the first horses she signed for signed company. And then for the three owners that are our biggest supporters every day: Sal, Stuart Grant, and Mike Dub. Winning the Kentucky Oaks—it's uh, been somehow that's the best campaign horse. We've ever had by far. She was undefeated this year, except for being DQ'd in the cotillion, um, which to be honest with you, I thought was the right call. Uh, you can put that on record and some huh. people say, might, maybe you're biased because you had midnight B suit too, but it was the right call. And I so, told all the Monomoy girl uh, owners at that time that I thought it was the right call, but she she's our best campaign horse to go through a year that she's had winning the Ashland, winning the Oaks, going to Saratoga, winning the grade one there. Running well in the cotillion and coming back in the Breeders' Cup to beat older mares. Those are the top three. Eskenderaya, uh, uh, Exaggerator, First Classic, and Monomoyo.
0: Hey, Brad, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we love your passion for the game. And again, our podcast is called For the Love of the Game, presented by HorseBills.com. We appreciate your time. Keep up the great success, and we'll catch up again down the road.
2: Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. We'll talk to you soon. Okay.
0: okay. That was Brad Wiseboard, And for Mark Dosh, I'm Bob Ike. Stay tuned for the close of this show and we will uh, be back. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Brad Wiseboard and Mark, as we mentioned, a young guy with a booming business and uh, continued success to him. What a great story it's been.
1: Yeah, it was funny. I was at Del Mar the day that uni won and I could have sworn that was him that I saw there, but, Little did I know that he's got an identical twin brother that looks just like him. And so uh, that was that was pretty funny to, to hear him talk about that.
0: Let's recap a little bit. Uh, it was a quiet weekend in racing uh, last weekend, but we saw a couple nice two-year-olds at Los Alamitos, and uh, one of them is named Improbable, and he's a three-for-three cult from the Bob Baffert barn. Baffert refers to him as Mini-Me, a smaller version of Justify, and he might have that kind of ability, Mark. I was pretty impressed by the way he won the cash call faturity.
1: Yeah, the Baffert train rolls on. We, we talked to Bob at Clockers Corner um, a couple of days before that race, and he was obviously very confident. Uh, the horse is aptly named Improbable. What, what are the odds of Baffert having yet another horse with this kind of ability coming off of two Triple Crown winners the past couple of years? And this horse looks just as impressive as the other ones. And he went out there in the cash flow Futurity and and did his business one impressively, like he'd been training and um, the sky's the limit for him moving forward. Baffert finishes one, two in the Futurity, one, three in the Starlet. So he's scooping up all the purse money, adding to the, adding those 10 percent to his, his account and uh, making more and more money every time they, they roll out these big races.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been a quite a run. And you you mentioned one of his triple crown winners, of course, the first one, American Pharaoh. And his half sister is named Chasing Yesterday. I remember before she ever came in, or right when she first came to the barn, Baffert had told me that they, they really like her. They think she's something special. And sure enough, now she's a grade one winner taking the Starlet. It was a hard fought battle, three of them across the track. But she is certainly making her older half-brother proud. Uh, chasing yesterday got it done in the Starlet.
1: Yeah, you see all these well-bred horses, and there's all these expectations with the bloodlines. Obviously, her mother is the mother of American Pharaoh. She's bred to tap it. So you would expect or hope that you would have this kind of success, but it doesn't always work out that way. So she's four or five in her career, a big grade one win. She had to dig deep. But, again, moving forward into 2019 on the Kentucky Oaks Trail, She's obviously going to be one of the top contenders.
0: Well, here on the West Coast, Mark, Los Alamitos closes out on Sunday, December 16th. And then we have a downtime until the start of Santa Anita, of course, the day after Christmas, December 26th. So kind of a a quiet time for racing, but talk about a great time to transition over to horse bills. I mean, if you're on the fence uh, and you're invoicing your payments, your accounting, End of the year, we make a big push, and uh, that's what we like to tell people. Heading into 2019, now is the time to take a look at horse bills and, and tell, tell everybody what we can do for them, Mark.
1: Yeah, it's a fresh set of books starting in the new year. Whether you use the site yourself as a subscriber, we can guarantee you you're going to make your life a lot easier, make your business run a lot more efficiently, save countless hours on getting your invoicing and accounting done. Your owners are going to love it. They're going to have a free account where they can log in track all their ownership and billing records, pay their bills online, bringing the entire process into a more state-of-the-art situation compared to how the industry has operated for decades. If you also if we will offer the opportunity to have us do the bookkeeping for you, we provide world-class service, uh, customer support, and we take all the, the concerns off your shoulders and you can concentrate on training the horses and not worry about your finances and your billing, whether it's invoicing, payroll, accounts payable, we can do it all. And we are doing it all for a lot of top clients around the country and more and more are signing up every day. We're really excited about the direction that we're going and being able to make a big impact in the industry in the years to come.
0: Yeah, definitely, Mark. And uh, well said. And as we close out 2018, uh, let's just thank all of our loyal clients. We're four years in now. Uh, We've built this thing day by day and we couldn't do it without great clients and loyal clients. And we thank them very much. So not sure if we'll have another podcast before the end of the year. Uh, Maybe we'll try to get one out, but if not, thank you to everybody. Uh, Hope it was a great 2018. And we are very, very excited about heading into the new year. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It was our fourth one of For the Love of the Game presented by horsebills.com. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.